Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right. So we, um, we're starting a new, uh, a new series. And um, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, this is, by the way, this, is anyone here Gen Xer? Am I alone? I'm the only Gen Xer? Okay. Well, if you're a Gen Xer, um, this would be, this is like a, a, a joke that's been going around for a long time. And it's funny because it's absolutely true for Gen Xers. And maybe other people as well. Um, but uh, when I was a kid, I'd watch TV shows, um, cartoons, comic strips. And on a regular occurrence in those movies, the lead character would find themselves in quicksand, right? And so as a kid, I really thought when I get older, I'm going to have to have a plan for quicksand, right? Indiana Jones had to use a snake, right? And he's like, oh, I hate snakes. And then there'd be like a vine. I was convinced that I should just wear a, a shirt made of rope because if I had that on me and I'm in the quicksand, then I would have a plan, right? I had to think through staying alive. Um, and then when I got a little bit older and I could go into further into Jay Cook, no quicksand. I went behind the spur station, no quicksand. I learned quicksand is like not in Minnesota, all right? And um, I spent a lot of time thinking about that, where I should have been reimagining my safety by learning that shirts are gendered, right? I did not know this. No one told me that, um, do you know how, do you know the difference between a male shirt and a, a, a woman's shirt or a female shirt with the buttons? Right? Yeah. Do you guys know? Who, raise your hand if you know this. All right? All right? Okay. I didn't. I showed up to my first junior high dance, and I have three older sisters, and my sister, Katrin, was really cool. And so I went to her closet because I really wanted to impress Melissa Anton. All right? I've told this story so many times. All right? Melissa Anton, if you're watching, all right? Uh, you're welcome. So, um, uh, so I went and got the coolest shirt that I could find. It was like a plaid shirt that was like neon red and neon blue. Um, and I put it on. I noticed the buttons were different, but I didn't know anything. I'm like, this is just cool people wear buttons differently. And so I show up to the dance, and uh, I want to dance with Melissa. Um, uh, 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 what's the name of the song? Um, oh, I can sing it. I don't remember. Uh, um, it's not November Rain. But anyways, um, but it's like the perfect song. I walk up to Melissa. I'm like, Melissa, would you like to go dancing? And she's like, sure, Chris. And I'm like, whoa, girl, talking to me. And so we start dancing, and she's touching me, and I'm touching her, and um, on the shoulder, so I should say, very appropriate. Um, and I'm in seventh grade, and uh, I'm like, hey, baby, this is what love is, right? Something cheesy. And, and she goes, are you wearing a girl shirt? I'm like, Shh, no, no, of course not. She goes, I think you're wearing a girl shirt. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Then all of a sudden, she stands back, points at me, and tells everyone at the dance, Chris is wearing a girl shirt. And everyone stops dancing like, ah, right? I should have known about that. Right? All this time in quicksand, I should have reimagined survival of junior high by knowing those things. Right? We have to reimagine things. We do this in our entire lives. Right? Uh, when you have a puppy, right, or you have a baby, right, you have this idea of like, oh, they're gonna listen to me. Oh, they're gonna be kind to me. Right? They're not gonna defecate in the middle of the floor. Right? You pick which one, or maybe it's both. Right? Um, and then you get one for like, I don't know, after like two hours of you smiling and holding him and you're like, maybe you should start an Instagram account for them because they're so beautiful, right? And then after about two hours, uh, they don't listen to you. They might defecate in the middle of the floor. They don't ever sleep. And you have to reimagine what sanity is, right? Like for my sober friends, I imagine that you have to reimagine 
your life when you get clean. And from the people I've talked to, it's not always easy. But you, you either reimagine or you go back to using, right? And you can do hard things. Um, when you get a diagnosis, you reimagine what your values are, right? We've seen the movie a hundred times, right? Like go on the deathbed, why did I work so much, right? Like maybe we should start reimagining before we get the diagnosis. Reimagining is a very healthy, normal um, thing. But when it comes to God, this is where some people just shut the door. They're like, nope. And as a preaching team, this is Valdez, Nikki, uh, Rebecca Reck, and myself, we, um, we're uh, collaborating about what we want the next couple series to be. And we all said this is a conversation we have all the time. How do we help people reimagine what beauty is, reimagine divine love, reimagine God? And we picked um, several different topics, and I got the first one. And it's a banger, right? And, oh, before I get there, right? Why do we not reimagine God? I can tell you, right? Because have you ever heard, man, Chris, God's ways are so higher than our ways. Who are we to question God, right? Or I got, when I started asking questions of like, um, there's a lot of blood in the Bible, right? I saw on Facebook, um, someone that was a mentor to me put like this, um, uh, in the, when, uh, the, the, the plagues in the Old Testament with Moses, right? Uh, and they put the blood on the doorframe, and they said God didn't look to see who was in there. They just looked to see that God was on that house, and the angel of death passed over. And they're trying to, like, promote it as, like, God doesn't, like, look at the individual. And I'm like, yeah, except he killed every other baby <laughs> or firstborn that didn't have the blood on it, right? And I remember asking, uh, uh, used to be a pastor, um, and said, there's, like, genocide in the name of God. Is that like a holy sacred thing? And literally said, hey Chris, God's ways are <laughs> I'm like, that's a convenient answer when you can't answer it, right? Um, or the one I, I also heard is like, Chris, as the clay, who are we to question the potter? I'm like, that is a horrible analogy. Clay can't talk. I can. I have a brain, right? And so, and then also, uh, we, we were told, or I was told, to not trust your heart to not trust your instincts. Like, you, you can't trust your heart because it is uh, so wicked and it's so depraved. And it, it, just because you have that feeling, Chris, you need to go back to the Bible because the Bible is clear. It's, it's not, if you've ever read it, right? And really what they're saying is, um, like, if you walked into a church and you heard someone say something and you're like, that's a red flag, and maybe the pastor said something like, my smoking hot wife, that's an absolute red flag, right? Um, whatever it might be. And if you went and talked to someone, you said, this is, is it me, or does this seem like kind of different, or maybe that sounded kind of homophobic, or that sounded kind of sexist, and they're like, whoa, no, no, Chris, you can't, tr your experiences, you can't trust those, you can only trust the Bible, which is another way of saying, just trust the way I read the Bible, right, and it's, uh, it's a, how many people have experienced trauma by raising their hand, or pointing out some toxicity in a church, or a school, or a family system, and they're told, you just, you just don't understand. It's like, no, am I taking crazy pills? I do understand. And so when they tell you to be quiet, they tell you to just trust God, it means you can't use your brain. And God gave us a brain. We should actually use it. And so those tactics can keep people small. They can keep people quiet. And I think the whole Bible is a group of people reimagining who God is and who they are to be. It is this process of the Hebrew people, and in, especially in the New Testament. Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things than me. That's an invitation of like, hey, what I'm doing is dope, 
right? I imagine Jesus would say this. And he goes, and whatever you're going to do after, it's going to even be greater. And th- there's this whole revolution of people experiencing the living God and then go play it out in their neighborhoods, in their context. What a beautiful thing, right? So reimagining God is incredibly healthy and good. And for some people, they have been um, experiencing pain and violence, losing friends, family, because they dared just to get clear. And neighborhood's a place of where we can reimagine together. So the first topic, I kind of led with it and didn't give you the, the payoff, um, is your favorite subject. I imagine you get together with your friends and you just giggle as you talk about this. I imagine you have signs all around your house that have this on it. And when you get together, maybe with someone you deeply, deeply love, you look them in the eyes and say, let's talk about sin. Yeah? Does that make you feel good inside? Now, you never heard that word sin and like, wow, my day is getting a lot better, right? Why? Because when you hear the word sin, most, well, at least me, I hear the word sin and I just go, uh-oh. <laughs> Don't look the pastor in the eyes, right? Don't make any contact. Um, and the way that you think about sin really does matter, right? And th- the way that it, uh, sin has been handed to me when I was a kid and where I'm at now is totally different. But I love talking about this because um, sin is usually met with shame. And why? Well, verses like this. Romans 6.23, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is from Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the King James Version. You're welcome. So, um, but when you, how you, how do I say this? When you're you're looking at um, a Bible story or a biblical theme or a Bible verse, where your starting point is really, really matters. How you frame it really matters. And when I was a nice little evangelical kid at the church I called the crazy church because we'd run around and yell at the devil, um, and that's a real thing. So um, the way it was framed to me is like, Chris, if you sin, there's death. I'm like, what? I I, I don't want to die. And if there's death, what happens if you sin and there's death? You go to where? Hell, right? So all of a sudden, hell is looming over everything. So anytime I thought about sin, anytime I even, like, engage or thought about sinning, I'd instantly think of death, and I'd think of hell. And I did not want to die, and I did not want to go to hell. So the way that it was framed was absolute fear, right? It was absolute shame. Anytime the word sin came up, it was like, you are a dirty sinner. And sin was everywhere, Right? It was absolutely everywhere. It was in me. It was around me. It was on you. It was in those places. And I was taught to be afraid of this loving God. They'd go from, oh, God loves you and has a plan for your life, to don't you sin or you're going to burn in hell, right? And, in fact, it worked. And how we came up with this idea was actually from the 4th century, 4th or 3rd century. And it's a guy named Augustine, right? Uh, And he came up. He took some verses from Paul. And he wrote, brilliant thinker and philosopher and theologian. Um, but I believe this is probably number one, maybe number one A, of the most toxic, violent theological belief that has absolutely <laughs> taken so many people out. And Augustine came up with the idea called original sin, right? And original sin in and of itself is just, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, it's handed to almost every church. It's in most churches of their, what we believe. And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course, original sin, like, who cares? Well, it matters a lot. Because original sin believes that, um, that sin is like, um, has like matter. Sin has substance. Sin is in our 
genetics. It's in our DNA. Because as soon as the sperm, if you don't know how babies are made, this is going to blow your mind, all right? As soon as the sperm and the egg come together and those like little cells make clumps and the fetus, right away it was this, the, the fetus is there, um, sin is right there with it, according to original sin. And the way that it works is um, uh, Augustine believed um, in the story of a talking snake, right, which they know the talking snake never refers to itself as the devil. It's just a talking snake. A talking snake tricks um, Eve into eating the one thing that she couldn't eat. And she's like, well, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat this. And so talking snake goes, hey, eat the apple. And as soon as her teeth touch that apple, sin now has entered not only her body, right, but the entire world, entire universe for all eternity. Now sin is here. And sin, they call it the fall of man, is not just that death comes. And according to the story, this is why um, there's pain in childbirth, right? Because Eve ate the apple. But it also explains um, why there's death, but also explains why there's, like, earthquakes. Explains why there's cancer. Uh, it explains why you don't like paper cuts. Because in the fallen, depraved world, it was meant to be holy and sacred. But now because of Eve, she passed sin on to her kids, and now her kids had kids. That doesn't make any sense, all right? Uh, but the original sin now is in every single person. Um, and that's a cute statement, but the reason they, had, they came up with this is they had to have some sort of reason to explain why we do evil things. A former pastor um, once said, um, original sin, you can see it because you don't have to teach your kids how to lie. You don't have to teach your kids to, like, sneak a cookie when you're not looking. And he blamed that on sin. And I remember hearing that, and I'm like, or maybe it's just like kids just really like sugar, <laughs> and sugar's addictive, and maybe they lie because they avoid pain at all costs like every human, right? But you see how you can, funny, you can blame sin on so many things, and then say, well, don't blame me, blame the devil, blame sin. And I remember I was a marriage and family pastor at one point, and I remember the last time I read this statement, we had child dedication. And child dedications are my favorite, and those are coming up on the 18th, the 18th, I believe, the 8th of October, um, if you have a child that you'd like to dedicate. We'll be more on that next week. But I love child dedication because families come up and they bring their kids and they dress up these babies like adults at a wedding, right? Like all the little girls wearing like nice, like flowy, lacy dresses and all the boys have ties. And girls can wear ties and boys can wear lacy dresses. But they all look great. And parents up there standing and their families all out there crying, taking pictures, thinking about what year they're going to graduate and all that stuff. And I read on this paper, and one thing that we agree to as families is that these kids are sinners in need of God's grace. And when you just say it, it's like, oh, that's so nice. But if you stop and think about it, like, this little nine-month-old we're calling a sinner, right? That'd be like me. I've used this joke so many times. When Cole was first born 18 years ago on the 20th, um, and he's like minutes old. He just started breathing. And I hold him in my hands. And I look at him and said, look at this little sinner. <laughs> you sinner. Oh, man. I'm so, you, just, you are a horrible sinner, my man, right? You, that would be insane. But original sin, that's what you are, in fact, saying. And the, the outcome of this is not good, right? And I call it um, yelling gets the shoes on. This is the, the, the framework. Yelling gets the shoes on. Um, I'm not proud of this, right? But when I was a parent and I'd have to be somewhere and I had little kids, um, I'd usually start with like my son Max. He's 15. I'd start with Max and like, hey Max, you know, you're four and um, dad has a really important 
thing coming up that if we don't show up on time, it costs me money, all right? And so do you think you got time in your schedule to maybe get your shoes on the next half hour? And, you know, maybe we can come up with, like, a dream board, and maybe we'll do, like, we'll get pumped up and, like, whoa, right? And, like, no, that never worked. I'm like, hey, Max, can we get going? Sure, Dad. I'm going to go to the bathroom for 45 minutes. Oh, okay. Hey, do you think we can go now? Hey, Dad, I'm going to go outside and hide from you, all right? <laughs> and we get to the point where I would then yell. I like, get your shoes on. And Max, oh, every time he'd just do this, he'd like, oh, and he'd just like get quick feet because he heard the intensity in my voice. And I'm someone that he loves and I love him. And all of a sudden, I'm a rage monster. And guess what? He got those shoes on pretty quickly, right? You get your desired result, but at what cost? Of me looking in the mirror and seeing my kid cry because his dad yelled at him to get shoes on? Right? And they're like, oh, I'm a horrible person, right? This is what this framework of sin does. It gets a desired result of you connecting with God, but at what cost? Because if there, like a, a, a famous sermon is, um, uh, I think it's not John Roberts, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right? Who, who was that? Yeah, if you think about it, just interrupt me. But, um, uh, the idea of, and it was a popular sermon, right? You can still go and you can YouTube it, not watch it as long time. Well, you can hear it, right? Of an angry people, sinners in the hands of an angry God. If you were there, this is called John Edwards, thank you. If you this is called fire and brimstone preaching. Um, it works. Because if you show up, church is a vulnerable place, and you show up and some person up there is screaming at you, if you don't turn your life to God, if you don't say this prayer, you are going to hell. Why? Because God hates sin. And if God hates sin, God hates me? Huh. And so I'm supposed to, when God sees me, God sees sin. If God hates sin, he hates me. But if I surrender my life to Jesus and believe, believe that he died on the cross for me and the blood was poured out for me, now God doesn't see me. God sees Jesus' blood on me. And God sees Jesus. And because of that, God will love me. That, my friends, is called penal substitution. And that, my friends, is also a monster God. A God that hates and loves, that's not a Jesus-looking God. I never see Jesus going around shaming people and saying, oh, my God, my father hates you. Wait till you get my blood. Then he might love you. Right? Jesus, Jesus doesn't, doesn't do that. But so often, that's where people go, trying to scare you. Actually, I could say this. They're trying to scare the hell out of you, literally. There was a play. Did anyone ever go to Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Raise your hand. We can trauma bond together. All right. <laughs> um, and I brought my friend to it. And he watched it, and he, um, uh, what did we call it, said the sinner's prayer after it because he was so terrified. And the play would go several instances. It'd be like kid teenagers at, like, some church event, and the pastor's like, um, who wants to get saved? And one person did, and one person didn't. He goes, and if you don't, if you don't know where your eternity is spending, right, and you die tonight, you, you're going to find out where you're spending eternity. And so one kid does it, one kid doesn't, and in the play, I think he goes and smokes a cigarette because he's so evil, right? I say he's so cool, so um, uh, that was a joke. <laughs> Smoking's not cool, kids. So um, uh, they get in a car, and they're driving home, and of course, they get in a, this is a play, they get in an accident, 
And all of a sudden, the angels come out, and the kid that just said the prayer, the angels take him off to the side of the stage where there's light and nice music, and people are, are welcoming him in. And the kid who smoked, instead of saying the prayer, guess what happens? Demons come out, and they drag him, and there's fire, and he's screaming, no, I meant to say the prayer. And the kid that's leaving away is like, bye, <laughs> go to hell. And the demons come out, and then Satan comes out and dances around him. I, I got the goosebumps. It still scared me so bad. And my friend saw it. He's like, well, I, I can't swear. He said um, a word, and he's like, I got to say that prayer. I'm like, let's do it, man, right? It works. It can scare the hell out of you. But at what cost? Because I remember being a kid. I remember being a teenager and crying myself to sleep because I sinned too many times, and I was convinced I crossed the line too many times. And if you think that if you sin that you're dying, and if you're dying you're going to hell, and you really, really believe that, it will absolutely traumatize you. And I'm living proof of it. And why did I believe that? Because if my friend, Mike Cockett, my friend in high school, right, if he, uh, like, burned me, like, 75 times, and he kept saying, no, I'll never do it again, I'll never do it again, and he did it again, I'd be like, dude, we're done. That's just, like, normal, healthy thinking. I'm saying, of course God is sick of me saying, I'll never do it again, God. And so I was convinced that I was going to hell. And the only way I'd find relief is um, uh, there was a, uh, a youth pastor at this um, convention called the Ascension Convention, which is the craziest name in the world. Um, and the guy looked like uh, Sergeant Slaughter from G.I. Joe. That's what I remember. But he would talk about how bad do you want forgiveness? And if you want forgiveness, you need to want it really, really bad. And I'll never forget it. He said, some of you are seeking the hands of God instead of the face of God, which means you only want forgiveness so you can feel better. You only want healing so you can, like, run around or whatever it is. If you want those things, you have to seek the face of God, which means you have to really believe it, and you have to really want it. And I believed him. And so I went up to the altar, and I prayed, and I cried. I think I might even yelled at, out something, all right? Um, and it's like a, a version of me taking a whip and just whipping myself until I'm bloody, of like saying, I have, to, I have to earn it. I have to prove to God how desperate and sorry I am. And only then, all of a sudden, I'd feel that forgiveness. I'd feel new mercies. I'd feel that, that new life, right? And then I'm like, oh, God, thank you so much, which is no different, or I shouldn't say no different, which I imagine is similar to someone in a domestic abuse situation, and the guy knocks around his wife, and then the wife has to come back and apologize, and then he'll say, now I love you, right? It's insane, but that's what was handed to me, and I'm not a fan of that, not, not at all. So how can we reimagine what sin might be? Because that this way, um, and even though I'm, like, accentuating different points, that is what a lot of people believe, and they don't even know why they believe it. They're just like, oh, you were, oh, here's another point. If you know what sin is, right, and then you can say, um, like, well, that place is a sinful place. Uh, I was taught only Christian music is safe, and if you listen to any secular music, um, then the devil's going to get in your head. And I had um, Green, Day, Green Day's Dookie, which comes out as 30th anniversary. is coming out here soon, um, which means I'm getting older. That I, have a, I like that. I like that. Um, I sound like my dad. <laughs> Holly and the hay, Molly and the Haymakers. 
Anyways, um, and I remember taking my Dookie CD, and like, I can't afford to throw this away, but everyone else is throwing it in, and we're going to burn them, because we have to return devil's music back to hell. I don't understand, but I did it, because I trusted these people, um, or about this, if you've ever heard of purity culture, right? Purity culture says you can't trust your body. Purity culture, and again, 99.5% all on the women, right? I didn't know this. We'd go away to youth group trips and at camp, and the girls would go into one place, and the boys would go to another, and we hear things about sex and whatever. But in the girls, they had a very different conversation. The ladies would get up and say, do you want to make your brother stumble? Right? If you wear that two-piece swimsuit, oh, heaven forbid, right? If people know that you actually have breasts, right, then shame on you. You are leading these kids to sin. Sin is death and death is hell. Can you see how that might traumatize people, right? Normal, healthy, very healthy urges and feelings and expressions, right? Like we are, at our church, we're very sex positive. We're very body positive. We're not going to shame people for being who they are. And when I say that to people, they're like, whoa, no, no, no. I'm like, why not? They're like, oh, because churches usually hate sex. Churches, we're taught, we're like, we're, we hate our bodies. It's like, no, man. Our bodies are beautiful. They're wonderful. And so purity culture is like, don't ever think about it, don't ever think about it until you get married. And then when you get married, now you're good. You're like, whoa, no, that's not how it works, Right? So these, these, are the, these are the unintended consequences when we hold those views. So let's get to how can we reimagine sin. Uh, we have a quote up here from Nadia Boltz Weber. And uh, I think it's yeah, right there. Sin, oh, if you've never read any of her work, Nadia Boltz Weber is a Lutheran pastor, uh, and she is amazing. And she, her latest book is all on how do we reimagine sex, right, in the church and in the Bible. It's wonderful. I haven't read it. I've only listened to her talk about it. Um, but this is her definition. Sin is the human propensity to screw things up. But I put screw because she uses a different word that I'm not a, supposed to say on camera. So, um, uh, and, and when I first heard that, I laughed out loud. I was in the car, and she was on NPR. And I'm like, that is the perfect definition of sin. The word in the New Testament of when they use the word sin that Paul uses, it's actually just a, a term of like if you were aiming at, um, I, I wanted to throw an axe at the wall, and I have a spot, and I'm like, I want to hit that dot, and if I throw it, and I'm off by inches, or I'm off by feet, then I have sinned. I just missed the mark. There's nothing about salvation. There's nothing about your feelings. There's nothing about how depraved and horrible you are. It is just a term that you wanted to be here, and you were right here. The difference between those two is a world apart. Because if it's just about you missing something, it means that you're just being human that does not mean you're horrible. Sinning is just that you are trying. If you say, I'm going to use my money, I'm going to use my body, I'm going to use my words, and I want to be this kind of person. I want to be the healthiest that I can be. Well, you have to actually be aware of what you are doing. You have to be aware of where you're at. You have to examine and look at the fruit of the decisions you're making. And then all it is is, oh, I don't want to be the dad that yells, right? Well, then what kind of dad do I want to be? That's a great question. And how do I move? In uh, Luke, Luke, Luke or Mark chapter 2, I'm going to Bible college, don't worry. So Luke or Mark 2, uh, Jesus says, um, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when we hear that word repent, right, that usually goes back to feeling, crying, bad, I'm so sorry. Repent is just movement. That's all it is. It's a military term for changing directions. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you want this kind of life, right, 
Like, move towards it. Yeah, you sinned. You missed it. You can't even, it's even hard to use that word sin without all the emotional backlash behind it. If I could, like, remove it, if, if we change sin to, hey, um, you made a decision, this is where you ended up, positive or negative, right? Where do you want to be? Well, that gives you permission to be human. That gives you freedom to try different things. What sin does in, in the framed in fear is to keep quiet. It's to keep you small. It's to keep you down. Instead, when, when Paul says the wages of sin is death, what he's, like, and, and Paul has this way of, um, how do you say, like, making things larger than life. Because once you hear this and you read Paul, and I avoided Paul for like three years, but once I heard this, it changed how I view Paul. Paul is convinced that the day of the Lord, or Jesus coming back, is happening in like months, days, maybe even years. And so when he puts these things of like the wages of sin, mean the, the way you use your life, you get a wage, like a paycheck. And it's going to lead to death, meaning not the life that you've always wanted. Eternal life to him wasn't just heaven. It was God coming back and removing Caesar as Lord, and Jesus would be Lord. And they'd live life in this kingdom of God, right? He's like putting the two around, saying, what kind of life do you really want? He's not talking about hell. He's not talking about you actually dying. He's saying, do you want to live a good and beautiful life? And you, it's, it's up to you if you want it or not, right? And when I think about sin in this sense, it gives freedom. And now, what Sarah might have as sin doesn't automatically mean that it's a sin for me, right? And pastors and denominations love to do this, right? Uh, well, if you watch Disney, right? If you watch Disney, well, that's a sin. Why? Because they support queer people, right? And so they put this blanket of what sin is. But for me, I'll tell you a story about me sinning. It's actually really funny, right? Um, man, I want to know what you guys are thinking in your head when I say that. <laughs> What's he going to say? Uh, I went to my doctor, Dr. Hutch, big fan of Hutch. Um, I don't call him Hutch because you're supposed to call doctors doctors, but I'm waiting for him to say, just call me Hutch. And be like, we're best friends. Um, and he's like, you need therapy. So, uh, um, <laughs> um, and I met with him because I was having some health things coming up in my life I didn't like. And I tolerated them. Finally, I'm like, go to the doctor. And I'm like, Hutch, here's what's happening. He goes, well, how many cups of coffee do you drink? I'm like, well, that's a weird question. You went to medical school to ask him about coffee? I'm like, I don't know, four, five cups of coffee? And he's like, yeah, maybe that might be you know, a big part of why you're feeling anxiety and some other things. He goes, go down to one cup of coffee. And I rolled my eye. I'm like, yeah, okay, doctor, right? One cup of coffee. And so um, I, for whatever reason, uh, tried it. And like two or three days later, uh, my anxiety went down and some other symptoms started to dissipate. And I'm like, holy buckets, I better start listening to my doctor, <laughs> right? And um, what I learned is, right, um, if I have one cup of coffee, I'm aiming for being my fullest self. That helps me move towards my fullest self. Two weeks ago, uh, staff me and I already had a cup of coffee, and I'm like, I want to get a cappuccino. How bad could it be, right? And for the first 20 minutes, it was awesome, right? I'm engaged. I'm awake. Everyone's, I think everyone's laughing. And at minute 21, the world is on fire, right? And I sinned, right? I made a decision that went off of the mark that I wanted. And I, when I, about five, six hours later, I came back down, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have to repent. I need to move. I need to use my energy. Now, for me, that does not mean that coffee is like Satan's nectar, right? I don't say, if you drink Satan's nectar, you're going to hell, Woo, 
right? I don't know why I added the woo. <laughs> I'm not a ghost. <laughs> right? That means you can drink coffee and I can only have one cup. That's beautiful. And friends, this is what the church is. The way we think about church and sin is a pastor up front or the priest up front telling you how bad you are, and then we have to get you to say some prayer or ask for forgiveness, and then God might meet you where you're at, or the pastor might absolve you from your sins. When people find out that I'm a pastor, I always say, what sins you want absolved? And they always laugh. So um, where am I going with that? Um, this is what the church is, right? Instead of being that way, if you come into church I believe you can only do spirituality if you're authentic and vulnerable, right? It's the only way it works for me. I can't just play a game. But if you come into church and we reimagine what sin is, then we can come together and we can laugh, process, dream. And I could say, I, I need better ways of how to engage with my kid to get his shoes on, Right? And you might share your stories, you might share your stories, and we're collaborating of saying, yeah, let's, there's a better way of being a dad, Chris. Instead of being a threat, it says, this is where I'm at. It might be us like, getting together and reminding each other that we're really good. It might be inspiring each other to continue to go on towards that goal. It might be people helping you clarify what is it that you really want. That's what the church is. It's a place where we come together and we remind each other and inspire each other to keep moving towards your fullest self. So here's my invitation to you. In order to do this, to reimagine sin, the first is acknowledge anyone here um, who's ever gone through any kind of trauma work, right? Um, acknowledge the harm in that view of sin has brought upon yourself. And maybe some of you are like, well, I'm fine. It doesn't really, for me, when I reimagine this, I had to go through a lot of grief. Not just because of what I had to walk through, what I said to other people as a youth pastor right? And first you have to own and have an idea of what you're feeling and where you're at. Then begin to dream, where do you want to be? Where are you? Where do you want to go? What obstacles are in your way? What are you willing to try to navigate through those? But you have to get some idea of what kind of parent you want to be, what kind of friend you want to be, what kind of employee you want to be, how you want your body to be and function, how you want your emotional health to be, Right? Because if you don't know, you can never get there. So my invitation to you is take some time. Walk through that grief of how you define sin or those things you called sinful. And I should say this, it might be, right? This does not mean there's no consequences for how we use our time, energy, and money. And sin can lead to some really, really hard circumstances if you continue to give yourself to the same decisions, Right? I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, do whatever you want. There's no consequences. Go do some coke, right? I'm not saying that, right? I'm saying similar to last week, there's these experiences, and we have freedom to move and engage with them. So if you'd like to, pro I'm going to pray here in a little bit. If you'd like to process, if you'd like to share, if you'd like to pray, I'd love to talk about this with you. This is a, a kind of a big concept, um, and I'd love to chat. And reminder, if you want to, um, after the service, in about five minutes, ten minutes, we're going to start Mug Club. If you would like to join us, I'd love to have you. But please, let's pray. So God, we love you. And I thank you that I can leave behind, I can reimagine that monster God, that 13-year-old Chris was convinced hated me. And I had to, like, trick you into loving me. And I pray for any of my friends 
who that has been a narrative previous in life or a narrative they still hear and see today. I see a Jesus-looking God who says that I am loved and I am included and I am good. Not by what I do or don't do, but I am good because the goodness has always been within me. So in this breath, I receive that love. And thank you for the love that you are. Thank you for the love that is around me. Thank you for the love that is in me. And thank you for the love that is me. And may we move in that beauty and that gospel and that love. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends.